Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. It's been a nice, long weekend. I hope you had a great uh, time and an extra day to enjoy family and friends and a little bit of that sunshine, that warm sunshine. It was awfully nice. It's awfully warm here today as well, but I think fall is just around the corner. I'm looking forward to today. Get to spend uh, my first hour with Dr. Mark Muska, my friend. Ask the professor. You know that drill, ask any question you like, and Mark will do his very best to answer it. The number to text is 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Mark was a professor here at the University of Northwestern for 38 years, give or take a year or two. Mark, welcome. Hey, hi, Bill. So nice to hear your voice. Thank you for doing the show. Yeah, I enjoyed so much our time uh, last week in our Red, Red Word series, so thank you for... Ask the professor today. Sure. All right. I've got a question that I kind of know the answer to, but I really want to get your take on it. So the question goes something uh, like this. Uh, There's a book out called The Angel Experiment. It's not James Patterson's book. It's another one where angels give daily advice. And a listener wanted to know, um, this is a person that she knows. How can I know, is this from God or is this another deception? Yeah. Now, just to give you a little bit of background, I did. I looked up this book and it said that she had this uh, this life mind-blowing experience in her life and it cured her of her lifelong depression. And she now teaches the world how to awaken your intuition and heal your illness and addiction and create financial abundance. And it's a powerful way to talk to angels so they can hear you and help you. So that's kind of the the, the routine is you've got a 21-day uh, angel manifest miracles, detox your heart, mind, and body. And it's a very sincere question, and people are falling for this stuff all the time. Yeah, yep. I agree. Is that it? <laughs> no. No. What okay. uh, uh, is this? Uh, real, I I have to have on my skeptic hat. There, uh, uh, be uh, I think when it comes to experiences in general, Bill, it's really a good uh, policy to have a cautious openness to what people are claiming. That I hope nobody's getting closed mind out there. Gosh, think of what that did to the Jews and the Pharisees when Jesus was walking the earth. You know, they mm-hmm. had. They thought they had everything figured out. They just were not open right. to Jesus and the way that he, through his experience there, he was he, he was uh, changing things. Uh, I remember especially in John's Gospel where Jesus says, you know, if you don't believe in me, believe the works that I do, that these are things from God. And so uh, you don't want to be closed-minded on the one hand, but you also don't want to lean toward gullibility either. In all sincerity, it's not like people are trying to be led astray, but uh, it's it's something that happens a lot. 
the Apostle Paul, in almost all of his letters, had to address some kind of false teaching and something that was trying to creep into the church. And uh, it's very significant that he says in Acts 20 to the church at Ephesus that some of these false things, these wolves will arise from among you. It's not like they're going to come from, you know, Alaska or something like that. Mm-hmm. They're going to be right in your midst, and you have to be careful. So you have to be cautious. You have to be discerning. But yet I hope everybody's open out there to what God is doing in in our lives and in our world today. So with that said, uh, this is out on a, a limb of sorts, Bill, that the angels would have this kind of role on an ongoing basis in yes. people's lives. And it sounded like some of this had to do with self-help kind of things, too, that you're going to get wealthier and you're going to be more uh, you're going to be more healthy and uh, everything's going to be uh, great if you're you're tapping into these angels that that gets the yellow light blinking in the back of my head to say caution here that uh, you just don't see that in the scriptures, that ongoing, continual, angelic kind of in interaction and guidance uh, for the, the followers of Christ. They do come, and they they do carry out God's will in, in specific situations, but it's more of, uh, what would you say, it's more, uh, not quite unique, but it's more selective kinds of intervention, and not this kind of constant uh, uh, f- f- interacting with humans. Uh, I, I think it's something that we have to keep in mind as well when it comes to our access to God is direct. Amen. He said that we can come to Him with anything, and we can put all these things out there as far as finances and health and circumstances of life, and we don't need a mediator any longer other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that, to me, is the the guiding principle of all of this. So I'd be cautious about it. I I have not read this book or heard about it, so I don't want to be plus or minus about it specifically, because I just don't know. Yeah. But it uh, it raises questions. I, I guess that's what I'd say. Yeah. So some of the subtitles, uh, not subtitle, but some of the points of the book is how to hear, see, and feel the angels in your life. Yeah. And 21 yeah. daily angel invocations to help you manifest miracles. Yeah. Now, now my feeling is if you're leaning into the angels for guidance, you're probably not going to have an angel that's going to contradict your will ever, is there? I don't know. It seems like that makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, it seems like they're here to just uh, help and support me. They're not going to ever say, boy, I don't think you should be doing that. And I see that all over Scripture, where God says, nope, that's not not what you should do. Yeah, yeah. I think there's there's good wisdom there, Bill, I think. And if you look at, you know, let's just talk briefly about what the Bible teaches about angels. In Psalm 34, 7, it says, The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. So there's a protective sort of uh, feeling I get when I read Psalm 34, 7. Yep, yep. And we have to acknowledge this, Bill. There is a whole, a whole business going on in the spiritual realm, in the heavenlies, that we don't get very, uh, it's not very often that we get a glimpse at that, that uh, once in a while, God will pull back the curtain and talk to us about these angelic things that are going on 
and especially warfare between the angels and the demons. And it's really quite scary to read some of this and just get little hints about it. But uh, there, there's all kinds of things going on that we don't perceive with our senses, that we have to acknowledge God is the, the Lord of the physical domain and the spiritual domain. Yeah, and I see Jesus talking about it, about it all over the place, where he says, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he says, do, do you think I, I cannot now pray to my Father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? And when he was uh, out in the wilderness for 40 days, the angels came and and, and uh, served him. So right. it seems like it's a topic he talks about often, but they're carrying out his will. You're not going to them for guidance. Yep, yep. And uh, that's pretty significant, because I don't think you see that kind of teaching from Jesus or the apostles in the New Testament, to be seeking out angelic guidance yeah. and, and uh, ministry day by day. We may ask for angelic help and protection if we sense that we're under spiritual attack, but I don't think that's a daily kind of issue like this book sounds like, at least, that day-by-day uh, uh, dependence on angels to do this work. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that there's nothing wrong with praying the Lord's protection upon your day, and maybe God is going to give you this sense of comfort that, that the angels will be protecting you. That's a great thing, but I wouldn't specifically go to angels in my world. No, and that, that that's a really good point. Maybe that should be what we we land on to say we have that access to God all the time, anywhere, no matter what's going on. Yeah, and we should take advantage of that. Yeah, Mark, let me back up a little bit. In in the beginning, you said I don't want to be, I want to be open, right? And right. we don't want to be open to falsehood. Nope. Okay, but you do want to say, say more about that. Well, you want to be open to the truth. That Again, you, you see, Jesus, when he came, he turned the world upside down of these believing Jews who had been living their entire lives for 1,500 years by observing the law and, and worshiping the way that the law prescribed. And here comes Jesus. He's doing miracles on the Sabbath, and that gets their, their noses all bent out of shape. And uh, he's saying that he is the Son of Man from Daniel, who is God himself. And it didn't, it didn't jive real well with their, their system, I guess is what I'd say, their understanding of God and of what's right and wrong and what it means to follow him. Uh, that, that was changing dramatically mm-hmm. when Jesus and I don't think that ceased changing when he came. God may be up to things today that are new, and they're, uh, they're fresh, and he is, uh, he is uh, doing things that uh, we just haven't seen before in the church or in the world. And so I think we have to be open to that. But don't forget the other word there, too, Bill, that we have to be cautious about it and discerning. We yeah. just don't. We don't just gulp down every single thing that comes along. Yeah. Then we're really vulnerable to yeah. error. And one of my smartest and dearest listeners said, why would we be open to falsehood? Mm-hmm. I'm not, but I'm, <laughs> open, I'm open to experience. What does that mean? That means I may have a an experience with God that is 
is wonderful and it's real and i have to be open to that that it might not be anything that i've experienced before oh gotcha okay that's fair the, te- the test i give to these experiences is a three threefold test bill and if you can answer all three of these questions yes it leads me to think th- more that this is from god than it isn't okay okay three tests are in this experience is god glorified number two is the body of christ strengthened or edified or built up through this experience and third is the gospel further facilitated to get out to the world to reach those who have not yet put their faith in the gospel if you can say yes to all three of those my head is kind of nodding to say well, that sounds like it's possible i'm still not saying for sure but yeah. it leans me in the direction of saying i need to be open to that All right. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest, and we're going to continue with Ask the Professor. So if you have a question, send it over via text, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Any question that you've had and you want to get it to Dr. Muska, do it now. I know you got one. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome to the show. If you just joined, we're talking to Dr. Mark Muska, and I love talking to Mark. A, he's my friend, and B, he uh, is the. He's going to ask. Uh, he's going to answer your questions. So that's what's going to be uh, exciting about this next forty-five minutes. Text them over eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Got a question about the Bible? Our last question was about angels, and we talked about angels in the Bible. But another uh, thing I've been doing over the weekend, Mark, is I started going through the Book of Mark as I was kind of going through it slowly. And I started making all these notes as I started going through it. I thought, I want to talk to Mark about a number of things, if you don't mind. Are you good with that? Sure. You you are always ready with questions if callers aren't. So. Well, no, I've got, I've got caller questions, but I also have bill questions too. So I thought I'm going yep. to run some of these by you because we start off in the book of Mark and it, we, Mark goes into the, the prophecy of Isaiah. And yep. he said, you know, I'm sending a messenger before you who will prepare your way. And the voice of the one calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. What does make his path straight mean? Yeah, it means that your uh, Isaiah also talks about uh, lowering the mountains and raising the valleys to make the path smooth. So it doesn't have dead ends or crazy curves in it and turns. Uh, think of your driving bill. Isn't it nice when you've got a nice, flat, straight interstate to drive on. Very nice. In fact, sometimes it's too nice and you get drowsy and, and then you're in trouble. But uh, a road that's winding <laughs> and going up and down and everything, that's a harder road. And so if I'm understanding the imagery here that Isaiah is using, and John the Baptist is going to jump right on this, is that they are making it accessible now about the for this the one who is coming that he is 
he is going to change everything, and this messenger before him is going to clear away the obstacles, the mountains, the valleys, the curves and the roads. So it's straight ahead at you when this person comes. Mm-hmm. So when they make mention of John's clothing, camel's hair and a leather belt and his diet. That Was that just more letting people know that that was kind of how, um, how people in John's profession would be dressing and living a simple life? Is that kind of what that means? Uh, some of it. I mean, I think John was a little extraordinary. Okay. You know? this, he, he, I, I want to say with, this res- with respect because he was great. Uh, but he was kind of a wild man. Uh, <laughs> All right. That, that living in the wilderness like this, this is not uh, something that would be the, the usual. But he's been called to this. Uh, it may be that he was a Nazarite who had taken vows as, as far as not uh, drinking alcohol or uh, all kinds of disciplinary things in the lifestyle he had, but he was special. And part of this is just where he lived in the wilderness, how he dressed, what he ate. I think most people reading this would go, ooh, okay, uh, I don't hear that very often. Yeah. That somebody looks that way and acts that way. Yeah, and then uh, we, we go to the baptism of Jesus, and he's coming out of the water. He saw the heavens in one translation, it said torn open, which is yep. very powerful imagery. I don't know what that means. And the spirit, and I looked at several different translations, always says, like a dove. So yep. a, <laughs> I think a lot of people think, no, 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 a physical dove descended on him. Is What happened? Well, I think that's the, 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 the appearance. It had to be sensory. They okay. saw something. And okay. the spirit is invisible. He's non-material. And so you're not going to see the Holy Spirit. Jesus made this clear with Nicodemus. Remember how he compared the Spirit's work to the wind, that you don't see the wind. You and I have never seen the wind. We see what the wind does. Yes. It blows leaves. It has clouds come over, but we don't see the wind itself. And he says, so it is with the Spirit. So this, I think, it probably did look like a dove that came down uh, upon Jesus here, but this is no dove. This is the Spirit of God oh. manifesting itself. Really, really interesting, Mark. So there was a physical manifestation that came down. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. But yeah, well, this, uh, we, this yeah. is called a theophany. In okay. the, it happened all the time where God makes himself tangible. We can either see him, hear him, uh, use our senses to somehow sense him. If he doesn't do that, he's he's inscrutable to us. We cannot perceive him. Yeah, now we don't know how many people were at the Jordan River that day experiencing a baptism when the the heavens were torn open and the voice of God comes down. But you would think that would show up in Scripture somewhere else. Hey, I was there that day when the voice of God showed up. Well, you know, John's uh, baptism here, it shows up in the other Gospels, too. And I like the way John records it in his Gospel, because he gets into the whole thing that I don't know if they saw this this uh, manifestation of the Spirit, but there's no question that John's disciples were impressed. And in, as a matter of fact, John urges them to follow Jesus now instead of him. And so uh, there's there's people there, and they're seeing something's going on, uh, just the way John talked in John, the Gospel of John. Uh, Behold, the Lamb of God, 
who takes away the sin of the world. You mm-hmm. know, that that's going to get my attention if I'm there with John. Because yeah. remember, Bill, up to this point, John the Baptist is the biggest thing going right, right now. Right. That all the people were recognizing him as a prophet. They're coming out to be baptized, to identify with his message that the kingdom of God was at hand. Therefore, they had to repent. Yeah. And so when he says that about Jesus, can't you see this visually where all the disciples are <laughs> looking at him yeah. and he's fat and all their heads go doink and they turn <laughs> over and they look at Jesus, you know, to yeah. say, Ooh, maybe we better pay attention to this guy. Yeah. So they have this incredible moment where the heavens are torn open, the voice of God speaks, the, the, the Holy Spirit descends. So a perfect example of the Trinity. And then the Spirit leads him out into the wilderness where he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And I think some people, when they think of that uh, time in the wilderness, it's at the end of 40 days when he's tempted by Satan. But Scripture says that it could have been 40 straight days of being tempted, right? Yep. Yep, that, it's, it's right there in Mark one thirteen, And Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted, not and then tempted, yeah. but tempted. That's a, that's a rough 40 days. And he you was bet. with the wild animals, and the angels were serving him. So there's a little angelic uh, encounter there. Well, remember, Luke fills that in a little bit further, that the angels came and ministered to him after he passed Satan's tests, that that was... Uh, maybe gives us a little more detail of what Mark just summarizes. Yeah, I appreciate that. Now, all of a sudden, Mark, it seems like out of nowhere, we get to verse 14, and it says, now after John was taken into custody, so what, he's gone to prison? Why? Why was he sent to prison? Oh, this is, uh, I mean, we don't know for sure. He might have been in jail several times. Uh, He wasn't exactly on the Jewish leadership's uh, love list, you know, that they... uh, they hated the way he talked to them, you brood of vipers. And Herod wasn't real impressed with him either. That's the one we know about, yeah. is that Herod had him thrown in the clink because <laughs> of his denouncing his marriage to his brother's wife. And so that, I think, the, the most likely is that's what's going on here, is that John, is, uh, John the Baptist has been imprisoned because of denouncing Herod. And again, the other Gospels give us a lot more detail about that, but uh, that that seems to be the most likely imprisonment. Yeah, well, here's what happens when you start reading slowly through any Gospel, and you start taking your time, and you reread it over and over. I start yeah. to have a million questions, and I think, well, I can ask Mark Muska next time he's on the show. So I'm well, being a little self-indulgent right now, I have to admit. So, yeah. Well, I, it's... It- great that you're asking questions. That, that is a vehicle for learning, is when we just pummel the scriptures yes. with questions and yes. things, and even write them down so that yeah. you can remember to ask somebody. And then my next question, we'll address this after the break, is when Jesus went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus enters the synagogue and begins to teach. How does yep. he just walk in and have authority to teach? He's, uh, how do you do that? I can't go into some church on Sunday and say, hey, pastor, I'm going to start teaching today. Mm-hmm. We'll address yeah. it when we come back. How's that? Okay. That's okay. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest. Send your questions over, please. 877-933-2484. Be right back.
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Welcome to the show. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest. Ask the professor. That's the program today. Let me know what questions you have for Mark, and we'll do our best. Well, he'll do his best to answer them. 877-933-2484. I was just telling him uh, during the break, I think I went through the book of Mark about four or five times over the last four or five days, and I've just, I, I, I get my brain just goes, I've got all these questions. And I think that's an important piece of Bible study is just if you go over it and over it and over it, you're going to have new questions all the time. Does that sound right, Mark? Oh, yeah. It's a very deep well, isn't it? Oh, is it ever. That someone can draw a cup of water from the scriptures and benefit from it, but you never get to the bottom of the well. It's, it, it continues to speak to you and teach you the more you study it. Yeah. So in, in the Mark 1, I'm looking at verse 21, they, they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and began to teach. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, well, wait a minute, where, where are his rabbinic credentials? How does he walk into a synagogue and all of a sudden be the teacher? Yeah, well, he's, uh, uh, again, Mark leaves a whole lot out of the details of what Jesus is up to and what he's doing. Uh, remember that Capernaum is the home uh, for Peter and Andrew and James and John, and he's just been calling some of those guys uh-huh. to follow him. And so uh, you have somebody like this where some thing like a dove descends on him and and uh, John the Baptist says what he said about Jesus you know word is going to get around and so uh, i don't think this is uh, out of the ordinary okay. for him as a visitor to okay. Capernaum now he made that his northern home he was there a lot in okay. Capernaum but this uh, i don't think it's unusual and they certainly seem to have benefited from it because the next verse there it says they were amazed as his teaching he was teaching them as one having authority not as the scribes the scribes and the teachers they would just quote each other Endlessly, back and forth. Yeah, as rabbi, so-and-so said, I'm saying this and this and that. And Jesus just spoke directly. Uh, Matthew records this also at the end of chapter 7 there, uh, the uh, Sermon on the Mount, that the people were amazed that he was teaching from the Scripture himself and not just from all the rabbinic tradition that was out there in Jesus' day. Mm-hmm. All right, Mark, let's just, I uh, want one more question from Mark, and then I'm going to move on. And when I say Mark, I mean the book of Mark. So uh, they leave the synagogue. They enter the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And now Simon's uh, mother-in-law was sick with a fever. Yep. And, and Jesus raised her up, took her by the hand, and, and the fever left. Okay, that's great. Now, all of a sudden, all kinds of people are being brought to the house with the uh, the, the demon possession possession and the illnesses and various diseases, and he's doing all kinds of work, casting out demons and not permitting the demons to speak. And then he gets up really early the next morning and and disappears after they, they go looking for him going, hey, we're, we're just crushing it here in this little town. <laughs> Where yep. are you? Yep. Yep. And he's out there and he's getting some some private time yep. with, with God. And uh, they they were wondering what he, what he was doing. Think of the exhaustion there of doing this and then getting up early like that and uh, going to a secluded place, verse 35 says. And what's really cool about this, the disciples say, everyone is looking for you, verse right. 
37. And what does Jesus say? He says, let us go somewhere else to the towns <laughs> I know. nearby. I know. And I may preach so that they're, uh, they, they treat, preach there also, for that is why I came out. So he wasn't in the business of building up his popularity. He wasn't he really wasn't interested in how many followers he could get on Facebook or YouTube or something like that. He wanted to get the message out there. And so he he left Capernaum, yeah. even though things were cooking really good. Yeah. Mark, do you love this guy with leprosy that came to Jesus and said, if you are willing, you can yep. make me clean? Do you not love this guy? Yep. Yep. He's... Uh, Again, he must have heard what was going on. He maybe even see saw some of the miracles from uh, earlier there in chapter one. So, yeah, uh, that's uh, that's that's wonderful. Yeah, now, he now, is submitting to Jesus as he makes his request. Yeah. So, do you think there was some superstition involved with Jesus? I know the woman that had a uh, an ongoing issue with uh, blood. Thought if I could just touch his garment, I'm going to get well. That mm-hmm. seems kind of superstitious, doesn't it? I don't know. I I, I don't take it that way, Bill. Okay. I think it takes it to say that she had such confidence in Jesus that he didn't have to take any time with her. Oh, okay. For her to be healed, he did, okay. she didn't. It seems like she doesn't want to bother him, you know. That, yeah. But yet she dearly wants to be rid of this issue of blood. So. Yeah. I think that maybe makes more sense. You get into this clothing thing in the book of Acts, too, where uh, Peter and then Paul, uh, they are doing a lot of powerful miracles. And, and Luke records that even th- th- that, uh, uh, material clothing and cloth that had, had been theirs that was laid on sick people and they were being healed. You know, that that's uh, showing the power of God there is uh, pretty much unrestricted in the way that it manifests itself. Yeah. All right, Mark, uh, they say that fasting opens more neural connections in the brain. Does that possibly lead to people being able to communicate with God better? Well, I don't know if it's, yeah. a, it's because of these neural things in the brain. Uh, it... it, it uh, I don't understand how my brain works most of the time. <laughs> and so it's certainly possible. But then you have to ask yourself, what? well, what is causing what? Is it the devotion to God? The idea of fasting in, in uh, typical terms, there would be other reasons to fast, but is to uh, – you have something that you want to bring to God and you're earnest about it. This is something that's important, and it's almost like the fasting is declaring to God and declaring to yourself that even basic needs of food here are going to take a second place to me seeking out the Lord. And so I am I am going to go without in order to be able to uh, bring my petition before God. Oftentimes, it was associated with something really negative going on. Mm-hmm. So Jonah's a great example of this where he preaches, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. And the whole city went into sackcloth and ashes and fasting to possibly see that uh, uh, change of what God was going to do. So a lot of the time it's associated with some kind of mourning or grieving or extreme distress that people were under and they would uh, uh, participate in fasting. Yeah. Dr. Mark Musk is my guest. You can ask Mark anything. You can ask me anything, but I'm just going to take your question and then I'm going to send it to Mark. So just ask Mark. 877-933-2484. 
Mark, how do you explain birth pains in Matthew 24? I'm not quite sure you're, you mean about the birth pangs of the signs on the earth? Yes, yes. We, we, we hear of birth pangs often. Are we yeah. experiencing them now worldwide? Oh, sure. Okay. And, and and I think that's been going on for a long time. That doesn't mean that Jesus is right around the corner. Uh, we're supposed to live that way, that Jesus could come at any time, and he makes that perfectly clear to them in that whole passage of Matthew 24 and uh, 25. And so uh, we are we are to be expectant and living our lives as if this might be the time Jesus comes now. We're not supposed to delay that. Oh well, you know, when I when I get a chance or when I graduate from school or something like that, yeah. then I'll serve the Lord. No, 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 no. Yeah. Today, right now. And so he and then he supports that by talking about things. And Matthew 24 is full of that kind of thing, where it talks about wars, rumors of wars. Uh, terrible uh, weather and uh, all kinds of false teachers coming, uh, people falling away because of these uh, uh, false prophets, lawlessness. The one that really makes me think is in chapter 24, verse 12, where Jesus says, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Man, you know, I mean, I Yikes. think you can assess what's happening in our world today uh, with that statement right there. So this, uh, all these things are the, they, they are the lead up to Jesus' return. But Bill, he may be generations away yet. We just cannot uh, come and uh, speak with authority that, boy, you know, any moment here, it's going to be, uh, Jesus is going to show up. I hope it's true, but we've got to also live for the long term, too, and be faithful to God uh, because he might come later than we think. Yeah. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest, 877-933-2484. Mark, did God punish the sons of man that went into earthly women and produced giants? Yeah. Are, they, are they still locked up? Are they locked up today? Or yeah. Are they still doing that? That that's just a beauty of a passage. Uh, this is one of the several places in Genesis where we sure wish Moses would have put a little more pen to paper here and and explained uh, what he's uh, talking about. Uh, that. Uh, uh, the, the whole thing about chains comes later, but in Genesis 6, it talks about, uh, verse 1, it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw the daughters of men were beautiful and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. And God uh, says that because of this, that the Nephilim were on the earth in these days, these giants, these great men. Afterward, when the sons of God went in, came in to the daughters of men and they bore children to them. They were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. And Peter picks up on that in the New Testament and talks about this as uh, being at least partially fueled by demonic powers as well. Mm-hmm. Here's a brief uh, Mark Muska commercial. Hi, my name is Mary from St. Paul, and I just wanted to say I had Dr. Muska as a professor at Northwestern in the mid-90s, and I appreciate him and enjoyed his knowledge very much during my time there. Wow, thanks, Mary. Yeah, That's Mary's a still long listening. time ago now. That's great. I hope your life is uh, great and you continue to, to follow Jesus. Yeah, uh, amen. All right, Mark, why is Paul the only one blinded on the road to Damascus? <laughs> you know, the easy answer to that is is because it was intended for him. Right. Know? 
it wasn't like this super zap that got everybody, you know, like some atomic explosion and everybody got blinded. Uh, God was after Paul. He was in that in this case, he's after Saul. Uh, he's he the hound of heaven is after him here, and uh, part of this is that he's blinded until he can get to Damascus, and then uh, his eyes are opened as he puts his faith in the gospel. So uh, in the same way, Bill, you can talk about what he heard, too, because it says that uh, that he he fell to the ground. I, I just uh, paged over here to Acts chapter 9, if people are interested in uh, reading this, and it says, you know, the, the, he, Saul fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he responds, and Jesus says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And then it's Luke throws a little detail in there in verse 7, where he says, the men who traveled with Saul stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And so it's not even sure that they were uh, that they were able to understand what was said. They heard something, but they, uh, they, it doesn't seem like they were able to discern what God said to Saul. So that's, it's kind of cool. It's just it's directed right to him, and the others are witnessing it, but not in great detail. Mm-hmm. What about the demons that have been locked up? Um, is, there, is there a scripture that states they are, are no longer free to do th- this demonic activity? It seems like at least some. Okay, that's what's happened. Is that uh, is that uh, comprehensive? I I don't think we can uh, make that uh, that conclusion. So, yeah, that there are some who are. Uh, I'm, I'm over here in Second Peter two. Uh, verse 4, it says, For God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. And uh, then he talks about Noah and everything. So it seems as though at least some of these angels have been incapacitated. Other interpreters, though, Bill, i got to be fair to this, is it may be a metaphorical analogy to say that they are chained or uh, thrown into this darkness where their powers are limited now. They can only do so much. So they're chained. They cannot do as much as they'd like to do to uh, bedevil uh, human beings. And so I, I don't agree with that, but it's it's a possibility. Mm-hmm. All right, Mark, when we come back, I want to ask you about Isaiah 53, verse 3. There's your heads up. So we're going to take a break and come back. Lots more with Dr. Mark Muska. Ask the professor. Send your questions over 877-933-2484. And listen to your favorite faith radio shows live or on demand. That means whenever you want to do it. You can download the free faith radio app. Text the word app to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Do you think of yourself as courageous, a world changer? Maybe fear rules the day and keeps you from identifying in these ways. But when you step out in faith and decide to take action in the moment, living this day in light of that day, eternity, you change the world. The Afternoon Show is part of the listener-supported Faith Radio. This content is only available because of your support. The impact on lives, the reach around the world happens because you stand up, 
to make a difference. Now's your time. Take the next step and be bold by joining the support team now. Click the link in the show notes or go to myfaithradio.com. Thank you so much. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest. Right before the break, I said, Mark, I want you to talk about Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised and abandoned by men, a man of great pain and familiar with sickness, and like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we had no regard for him. Yeah, that's what really is, serious. What, that, what does that mean to you? Oh, this is the... The uh, I, I look at it specifically, uh, and the rest of the chapter supports this, especially when he went through his passion, and he was beaten and crucified, and uh, people despised him, that he his appearance was awful, uh, he was acquainted with grief or sickness and sorrows, and uh, people hid their face from him on Calvary, I think. So I, I think it's, you know, in, there in particular, Bill, but maybe not limited to that, that there was plenty of time when Jesus was, uh, you know, uh, he was no Rock Hudson or uh, some of these people were just, you know, the dazzling good looks and and charisma and uh, all of this, sort of like the way King Saul was, you know, that, that people saw that he was head and shoulders taller than anybody else, and they were drawn to him physically. And it sounds like Isaiah here is revealing to us what's going to be appealing about Jesus sure isn't going to be physical. Yeah. Um, Mark, let me ask you about the, uh, in Luke 16, the rich man and Lazarus. Mm-hmm. Now, are we calling that a parable because I don't really know of any parables where a specific name is used. Yeah, there is there is some, but that is a good observation, Bill, that uh, Jesus more frequently, when he starts one of those parables, he'll say something like, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain man right. who, who went out to sow or something like that. And then it's a little easier to see that he's, he's teaching in a, a parabolic form there. And so in Luke 16... Uh, he says uh, in verse 19 to introduce the story, he says, Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine living, uh, joyously living in splendor every day. And so his name isn't given. So that kind of fits the parabolic. It does. You know? But then we got, and a poor man named Lazarus in verse 20 was laid at his gate covered with sores. So here we do have a name. Yeah. Why don't we just say uh, a beggar? Yes. With source, he's right. at the gate. And so uh, the reason this is uh, uh, debated is, is Jesus, we talked about this earlier today, is Jesus pulling back the curtain here and letting us see the spiritual domain and what's going on, and especially after death, what happens yeah. to those who die in faith and those who don't, because he talks about how both these two died and— uh, the poor man died and was carried by the angels. Here's the angels again. Yeah, I know. <laughs> to Abraham's bosom. Right. The rich man died and was buried in Hades or in hell. He lifted his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus there with him. And so is this the way it works? Is this the—is there 
the ability for those in this place of the lost and this place of comfort to talk with each other. Yeah, because no, I they know. They get into a conversation here. Yeah, and uh, the the rich man says, you know, just uh, uh, he says to Abraham, "Have Lazarus dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame." And so uh, that's why this idea of is this a parable or is Jesus actually depicting what's going on there? And I don't know, Bill, if we can come to a solid conclusion on this. I tend to see it more parabolic. Okay. But it certainly could be the, the situation for those who have died and gone either to this place of torment or this place of comfort. So I'm perfectly open to that and willing to be corrected if Jesus is, in fact, uh, giving us a a look at the reality here. Yeah, and why is he calling to Father Abraham? Well, Abraham is the one that was the, what would you call him, the head or the, the focus of the covenant. Uh, okay, and uh, uh, the Jewish identity, the Israel's identity, they traced it back to Abraham here. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the rich man has an awareness that he's got five brothers. I mean, how does he know that? How does he know that they're still on Earth? How does he? Yep. What makes him think that he has information about them? Right. So that uh, you know, boy, they're they're head scratchers, aren't they? They are. Yes. Yeah. I can see you're getting irritated by I this. I am. You know? I am getting irritated. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But this is what happens. And it's, yep. it's a good kind of irritation. It you know? is. Yeah. It makes you want to learn. Yeah. When I think of the parable of the sower, you know, and again, I, I, I wrestle with this. Is this more about an illustration of salvation or is it more an illustration about transformation or neither? Yeah. Uh, well, you have to be careful here to, uh, you know, look carefully as uh, in the way it's set up. Uh, this parable of the sower comes uh, in uh, Matthew 13 is one of the passages it comes in where he teaches the uh, parable. And I appreciate this, and you should take comfort from this, because in verses 1 through 9, Jesus teaches the parable, and I love it. Verse 10, it says, And the disciples came and said to Jesus, why do you speak in parables? And he explains that, and then they want to know what it means. They don't understand it. And so uh, thank you very much for the 12 here, you know, that they they too get perplexed by these teachings. And so uh, Jesus here, though, uh, he's teaching, and it appears to be that he's talking about the effect of God's word and his words on people. And he's saying, not everyone who hears this message is going to receive it and bear fruit uh, 60-fold, 100-fold. There are going to be some who hear it, and before they even can think about it, it's going to be out of their mind, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I picture this, and I don't want to be too too hard on people going to church, but people sitting in an auditorium listening to God's word being proclaimed. There's going to be some people there that they hear that 
and it's gone before they walk out the back door of the auditorium. That it's Satan has snatched it away. That the seed that has mm-hmm. been sown. Uh, there are some people they are going to receive it and they're going to be excited about it. But then uh, Jesus talks about the the uh, the uh, worries of the world. I believe it is. I got to get this right here. That in verse twenty, when he's explaining this, he says, "The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places. This is." The the man who hears the word. So it's all about hearing the word and immediately receives it with joy, has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. So Mm -hmm. it's a a, a, a one act wonder here. So gets very excited. But then when this affliction and persecution comes, he's gone. He's, it doesn't take root. And then the seed on the thorns, this is the man, verse 22, who hears the word again. He, he's, he's focusing on that. And the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Mm-hmm. And think about that one for a while. Oh, yeah. I, I don't like the spotlight on me to think about that. <laughs> yeah. uh, th- that the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches distract him away and the and the word never takes root and bears fruit. It's only the one, he says, this is who the man who hears the word understands it and indeed bears fruit and brings forth a hundredfold, sixty and thirty. Mm-hmm. So that's what I focus on. Not so much can you lose your salvation or not and that. Those seem to be secondary kind of questions that come out of this parable. And it's a really good thing to remember as long as we're on it, Bill, that usually with these parables, there is one main teaching that Jesus is trying to get across. And we should try to get to that. And all these other details may be uh, dressing on that one teaching, but he's not trying to uh, have all the details of the parable have tremendous significance for us. Some of the parables are that way. In fact, the next one in Matthew 13 is that way when he teaches about the wheat and the tares. that all the details there seem to have significance. But if Jesus doesn't spell that out, a good way to study the parables is to look for that one main thing that he's trying to get across to these people by teaching this parable. Mark, so great to have you on. Thank you for a very fast hour. Yeah, this has been quick. Yeah, no kidding. We're all done. So have a great uh, rest of the day and my, uh, my best, Karen. Thanks a lot. Take care. You bet. Dr. Mark Muska has been my guest. After a short break, should the church get involved in a couple's marriage problems? Huh. That's what we're going to talk about next with Dr. Bob Mueller. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.